You ready to get into the Word? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we're going to continue to study First Peter, and we're going to be moving in um, to some more meat that what he has for us. Remember, Peter is writing this letter to a scattering of believers all around Asia Minor. So this is not just to a church. This is to a number of believers. And probably these are believers that were those that came into believing very possibly through Peter's original message that he gave 30, almost 30 years prior to this. Remember, remember in the day of Pentecost, after the disciples were in the upper room and the followers of Jesus were there and they were baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit that Peter went out and he preached the first Holy Spirit-inspired message and over 3,000 people were saved that day and many of those people were from Asia Minor. They were from all over the areas. There were many languages that were represented there. Many, many different peoples were represented and, and many of them got saved and then they went back to their homes and lived lives there and now Peter's writing this letter to them and this is um, something that Peter has been on his heart because Peter... Peter is a very mature Christian by now. He's been ministering for 30-plus years. Uh, We talked earlier in other sermons about the life of Peter and why we should listen to him, but he has great authority. Let's pick it up at verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Father, help us to be able to discuss this passage and your word today with Holy Spirit-led words, that this is not just a man's idea, but Lord, that we really are listening to the Spirit as you lead us and teach us. Quicken our hearts to hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What was Peter's purpose for writing this letter? What was his purpose? Well, his motivation was to encourage followers of Jesus to have a joyful hope A living hope. That's what we're going to title this sermon. Living hope. To have an eternal perspective while they're living this earthly life. Life was difficult then as it is today. Life, in fact, life has never been easy. (laughs) I think every pastor, every preacher, every sermon at any given time could could say that life is difficult. Because it is. But for these people here, that were, they were now starting to go through some very severe persecution for their stance and for their living for Jesus. And Peter was giving them encouragement. Peter, like all the disciples, knew pain. And they knew suffering. They knew what it was to be punished and to be tortured and to be persecuted for the, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They knew what it was like to be put in prison, to be beaten. They knew all that, what they, they understood that. And they had a perspective that could get through those times because they had a perspective of eternity. They had, they had the glory of eternity on their minds in the process of living in this earth, in the process of suffering and going through all the pain and suffering. They knew that there was something better ahead. 
They knew this because they had a personal experience with Jesus. They saw Jesus suffer. They saw him die. And they saw him then be raised from the dead. And they saw him then ascend into heaven. And they heard his instruction. And remember, they were followers. They were disciples of Jesus before they ever became apostles. They knew what it was like to follow a man that understood suffering. They knew what it was like. They, they had a clear understanding of, what, of that. And then they were sent forth as apostles to declare the word of God thereafter. So they had great experience to draw from. So Peter today now in this word is helping people who are learning how to deal with pain and suffering of their own. These people were under severe persecution for believing and proclaiming the gospel of Christ. In fact, the church was being driven underground at this point. They could not worship openly. And when people would come into their home services or to their home churches, they didn't know if they were spies or if they were truly people that wanted to know about Jesus. So they were always on guard, always nervous, always anticipating punishment and persecution. And so this letter comes to them about hope about hope in the times of darkness, hope in the times of severe trial and, and potential persecution. And this letter brings peace and joy. Whenever we have hope, understand what we have. Hope comes with peace and joy. Peace and joy are byproducts of hope. They, it is something that will dispel the disarray and the turmoil around you. Peter is teaching these people what it is and how they keep their eyes focused on Christ how they keep their eyes focused on the eternal even though they're going through the temporary pains of this world. And that is something we need to hear. We need to hear this. We need to understand as well that we need to be heavenly minded while we live this earth, right? This is a good place to live. I, I'm not downplaying living on earth. It's, it's a beautiful place. God has created a, a magnificent creation for us to enjoy. But, but there's also problems here. <laughs> there's also some temptations here. There are also some persecutions here. There's a thing called sin. And we have to deal with that. So how do we get through life? How do we manage our, our days getting through life when, when times can be difficult? How do we do this and yet stay heavenly minded with Christ? How do we do this? Well, we're going to learn a little bit more about that. He starts off, verse 3, by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great thing to start off with, praise and worship. <laughs> That's why we start praise and worship on Sunday mornings. See, when, when life hits you between the eyes sometimes with a curveball, before you do or say anything or react, let me encourage you to praise the Lord. Just stop and praise the Lord. Before you react, before you say anything, before you let opinions form in your mind, it would be a great thing to do exactly what verse 3 says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why can we do this? Well, we can do this because we have to know that Jesus knows right where we're at. We read it at the beginning of in Psalm 139. We, we read that this morning, that Jesus knows exactly where we're at. He knows if you're in the middle of the storm or if he knows if you're on a, laying on a beach enjoying the beautiful sunshine. He knows where your situation is. You know what's, what's amazing? And he's even allowed it all to happen. 
He's even allowed it to happen, the good and the bad. He understands what you're going through. And he's mindful of you. So we need to be mindful of him. We need to be mindful of him in the good and the bad. When things aren't going so good, praise the Lord anyways. Praise the Lord anyways when things are going tough. When maybe you don't have enough money to pay bills or maybe you're sick or you're struggling with health or death or whatever. Praise the Lord. He knows about it and he's ordained it and he's allowed it to happen. Why? I'm not sure, but it's for your good. I'll tell you that much. The Bible says if you are following Jesus, he is doing only things that are for your good. He's a good, good father. And if we didn't really know that, then we would have hopelessness. But because we know that, we have a living hope. Understand that God has never had an aha moment. He never, he, God has never said, Ooh, I didn't see that one coming. Did you, Jesus? Woo! That was a close one. He's never said that. He's never been taken by surprise. Therefore, I don't need to be taken by surprise. Now, it's my flesh. I understand that. And I'm not saying something that makes me any different than you because we all are in this thing together. But when I can know that Jesus was never, never lived through a close one, then I can say, thank you, Jesus, for getting me through the times that I'm going through right now. They may be out of my control, and I may be confusing, and I may not understand them all, but I thank you that you are aware of my ups and downs. You catch me when I fall, and you're always there for me. It's good that we remember in the present times of trouble that God has always been there for us in the past time of trouble. When I have a problem getting through my present, remember that he got me through my past. How do I know that? Because I'm here. <laughs> because I'm standing up here and I'm breathing. Therefore, he's gotten me through. Now, maybe, maybe I'll look at it and say, yeah, but I didn't get through with, it to what I, to, with what I wanted to get through with it. Maybe I can look and say, I'm disappointed. Well, here's the thing. Don't sell God short if your wants aren't met. Don't sell God short if you think you deserve better than what you have. Because God provides us all the sustenance that he knows is best for us. We need to learn how to be content in realizing that God has provided everything I've needed in the past and he's going to provide everything I need tomorrow. I need to be content in that and not be wringing my hands thinking, how am I going to get through this one? How is this going to work out? I just need to remember, hey, he got me through one that was even worse than this. Think about the Israelites, how they, how they got through the Red Sea, how God split that for them when they walked across on dry ground. And it wasn't there long after that, and they forgot about that. Well, shame on them. And shame on us when we have been also delivered through the Red Sea of life. We need to remember that. And we need to remember that, God, it is good to be in contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. I am not saying this. Paul's talking to the church there about uh, some needs that he has. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We need that. We need to grasp what Paul grasped there. Paul and all the other writers of the New Testament understood contentment and situations that they were facing because they all went through some pretty bad stuff. All of them besides John, the revelator, was, were martyred. 
John was the only one that lived a full life. All of them experienced persecution to the point of being martyred. Peter was hung upside down on a cross. It's pretty bad stuff. So I think we have, I think he's deserved, I think he's earned the right. And then Paul goes on to declare a very powerful thing in the very next verse of Philippians chapter 13. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 13. He said, I can do all things through him who gives me what? Yeah. Yeah. My strength can't do what the Holy Spirit can do. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And that's why we can praise and worship him in the middle of our trials. Because God has a proven track record of always coming through for his child. Never once can we look at a failure of God. Never once can we see God failing to meet the provisions of his children. Peter then goes on to say, okay, after we've established the fact that the first thing we need to do is praise, praise God in all situations. He then goes on to say, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, this is where it could get a little exciting. Because in the great mercy of God, he is giving us a new birth. What is a new birth? A second chance. He's given us a second chance. Because maybe we've blown it. Maybe we haven't lived a life that is truly honoring the Lord. Maybe we aren't always what we think we are. Maybe we've been lacking in so many areas and maybe we by your own reasoning maybe you don't think you deserve a second chance or maybe a third chance or maybe a fourth chance i don't know but here it is here it is that we are given by the great mercy of god a new birth into a living hope see according to god's mercy there is nothing that i can do so bad that god can't forgive I just have to come to him. I just have to exercise my choice to come to him and say, I'm sorry, and mean it. <laughs> and mean it. And, and be willing to repent. That means be willing to go the other direction over it. Don't mean don't step in the same dog pile twice. I mean go in the other direction, right? And, and, and when I do that, God's mercy is so great that it will be there to forgive me and his grace will be there. So what's really interesting here is that a Christian really has two birthdays. We have our physical birthday and we have our spiritual birthday. Both are important. Both are very important. But there's one very important difference between them. One we didn't have any choice in and the other is completely our choice. I had no choice into who I was born into or into the family that I was born into. I hadn't God didn't ask me if I had what I wanted to do about this. <laughs> I was just born to Joanne and Dawson Way and I didn't have any choice in my gender. I'm born a man. Well I was born a boy. I grew into a man and that's who I am. 
And there's no confusion if I'm a boy or a girl anymore. I don't know where this comes from, but it is not in God's word. God declares that you are born either a girl or a boy, and he doesn't make mistakes, and we don't have to question it, and there is no cross-gender relationships here. That is a result of sin, and it is a result of confusion. And we need to love those that are struggling with this, but we certainly can't condone it, and we certainly can't agree with it, because that's not in God's Word. And who are we to change God's Word in anything? If God said something, He meant that what He said. So therefore, I have no control. I had no choice in the timing of when I was born or who I was born or into or who my siblings were or anything about it. Yet, yet, my spiritual birthday is totally different because I have great control in that. In fact, it was my choice to be born new. And it has to be my choice because God will never take anything from you without your choice. He will never give you anything without your choice. You see the power of choice? You see how powerful that is? God loves us, but he's waiting for my choice to be released so he can release his power in me. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Why? He's waiting for your choice. He's waiting for you to ask. He's waiting for you to do something so that he then can respond. He's waiting for us to do something. So according to this passage that we are giving a new birth into what? Now that we've chosen a new birth, what is our new birth into? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are born into a living hope. Do we have any comprehension of how powerful that is? We talked about hope on Wednesday night. Really interesting and a good discussion about having hope living in Babylon or in the world of chaos and total, utter destruction. We have hope. Hope, I can pretty much say, is one of the most, if not the most, motivator in life. Hope will allow me to get through a lot of stuff. Hope will allow me to survive. See, without hope, people give up. Without hope, there's no purpose on living any further. Without hope, we die. Without hope, um, men and women will do bad things to themselves. I can't imagine any person that has ever taken their life still clinging on to an element of hope. Suicide comes when there is no hope. I don't know about you. I don't know what your life has been through, but I've had some pretty bad situations in my life. When we were going through the loss of the business next door in Pine River before I became a pastor here and all this other stuff, I've got to tell you, I went through some pretty desperate nights. Three in the morning, knowing that we had to close down a business, knowing that I had to lay employees off, knowing that I had a huge debt to pay, knowing that I had that, fearful that my wife was going to leave me. I've got to tell you, I understood I can feel the pain of a man without hope. But thank the Lord that he didn't let me stay there. Thank the Lord that that wasn't what it was really all about. That little thread of hope is all it takes sometimes to stay with the course and to hang in there. See, despair is the opposite of hope. 
Despair gives up on life. Despair is the absence of hope. But we've been given a new birth, according to this passage, into a living hope. And this is what it's based on. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's so important that we have to know what our hope is based on. See, a hope that is not based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ is basically based on a wish and a prayer. That's the way the world hopes. They don't have a promised hope. They have a hope called wishful thinking. See, we have a hope that is based on the factual representation that Jesus Christ died and he rose again. Jesus is still alive. That's why I base my faith, that's why I base my, my whole salvation experience on the fact that Jesus is still alive today. I don't have to just wish. I can, I can know. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. As of first importance. The most important thing I can tell you, basically, is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, according to what was prophesied, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter. Remember, Peter is the writer of this book. And then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the other brothers and sisters at the same time, most of them who are still living and some who have passed away. See, the fact is, Jesus rose again. It's a fact. We can count on that. We don't have to, that's not wishful thinking. That is a living hope. And Peter is encouraging us to choose to be born into this living hope, one that is alive and will never again die. No matter what the conditions of life are, Jesus will never die again. Therefore, my, my salvation and my hope is based on something that is eternal. It's not based on something that is temporary. It's not based on something that goes up and down with the stock market. It's not something that goes if I have a good day in a job. It is not that at all. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I think there's a song about that. But my hope is built on that. That's power. That's strength. That's hope. That's joy. That's peace. That's contentment. I don't have to struggle in this world like the people of the world struggle. So therefore, hope is living and it's alive. So now where does this hope lead us? Let's continue on in verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. It leads us into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Our new birth into a living hope gives us a new inheritance. We're not just inheriting the stuff from this world. We're giving a new inheritance. Where is it kept? In heaven. That's some interesting thinking coming on here. Let's just wade through this a little bit. First of all, what's an inheritance? An inheritance is a transmission of wealth or title or ownership or succession by heredity or by being born into. I have an inheritance based on my birth, not on what I've earned. It's a gift. It's a gift. If it wasn't a gift, it would be called a wage. 
My inheritance isn't something that I've earned. My inheritance is a gift from my parents or from God the Father. It's a, it's a gift, all right? Our physical birth is one that we did not control. We had no control of our physical birth, therefore we really have no control of our physical inheritance. But our spiritual inheritance, however, is a totally different thing because I chose to be born into this new family called the family of God. And when I chose to be born into that, I was well aware of the inheritance that I'm going to gain. And it is an amazing inheritance. It is an amazing thing that comes with this power of choice that now I know that this new inheritance will never spoil, will never perish, will never fade. It will be forever and ever. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine something that never wears out, that never fades, that never spoils? I can't. We can't. Our, our, our little puny human minds, we just can't get our arms and our minds around that. It's just too big for us to think about. Maybe we can't imagine it because it's not here on earth. See, I, I, can, I can pretty much imagine when I can picture things in my mind. I can imagine how big the Mackinac Bridge is when I can see it in my mind. Or I can see things, I, I can rationalize them. But when I hear concepts that are so grand, like God never having a beginning, God never having a beginning, can you wrap your, can you wrap your brain about that? He never had day one. I, I can't get it. My mind can't grasp that. Just like I can't grasp an inheritance that will never fade or never perish or never spoil. Why? Because it's not stored for us here on earth. That inheritance is stored in heaven. That gives me my motivation to want to do whatever I have to do to get to heaven where my reward is. My inheritance is not something that I, can, that I can really handle it here. I really can't grasp it here. There's another place in Scripture where we're encouraged to look to heaven for our fulfillment. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, the treasures that I store up here are the things that I can hold in my hand. Anything I hold can be taken from me or can rot or can be spoiled. Verse 20, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So I'm to store up my treasures in a place that are protected. And then verse 21 is really important for us because this is talking about our choice. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart's going to follow it. So if you're storing up things on earth, then your heart will be on earth. Whereas if you're storing up things in heaven, then your heart will be set in heaven. And isn't that significant that we realize that? And when I think that way, when I think through this way, logically, can I, not, can I then see better how I don't have to let the things of this world impact my joy and my peace and my contentment and my hope because my hope is not based on things that are going to rot and destroy here on earth. 
they're in heaven and therefore I keep my eyes heavenward and I don't get distracted by all the stuff going on around me. It's not to say it's not important. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that a good job and a nice house aren't important. They just are not my treasure. It's hard to balance that. I know it is. I know it's hard to balance that sometimes. When I got to work hard, and Dave, you're a great example. You work hard in your business. I know that. And when you're a business owner, if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. And so therefore, you're, you're, we find ourselves stretched, and others as well. We find ourselves stretched between, do I spend all my time on my business? Or do I find a way that I can set that aside and focus on, on heavenly things? I know what it's like. I've been a business owner. I've been in the business world. I know what it's like. I know how hard it is to keep yourselves engaged in the world, but yet still eyes focused on Jesus. It's not easy. I'm telling you, it's not. I understand. But I will also tell you that it's worth it to keep your eyes focused on heaven. Because if I can begin to do that, then maybe I can take my eyes off my business, whatever it is, for a period of time, trusting it, to the one who's keeping my treasure in heaven secure. Because if I can trust God to keep my eternal heaven secure, I got to think he's going to be able to handle my temporary heaven. <laughs> I got to think he's going to be able to handle the stuff going on down here just as much as he's able to protect that up there. So maybe I should say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you a little bit. And maybe my priorities have been a little bit skewed. Maybe I'm thinking too much about what I have to do here, not thinking you're going to take care of it. And therefore, I'm foregoing things over here, which are things of the church. And the things of the church are not just in this building, however, but they're the things in the kingdom of God. Maybe if I was to change my priorities a little bit from focusing in on what I got to do here into what I need to serve here, and as I start to serve you over here more, that you will take care of things over here, and all of a sudden I'll see more contentment in my life. And I'll see less reason to stress out over bill, paying bills or thinking that I'm the only one that can do it. Because if I trust, first of all, I trust my employees to do it. And more importantly, I trust God to make sure that He's faithful because he is faithful. And he does things for us as we keep him as a prime focus. I keep my eyes focused on Jesus. I got to know he's going to take care of stuff over here. It's just a good lesson. Just a good lesson of business. So even though that our treasure is in heaven, does that mean that we can't begin to enjoy it now? Well, that's a good question. Can we enjoy heavenly treasures? Well, let me just say it this way. The reality of the fullness of that inheritance is not to be seen or realized here in this life. Because we can't even begin to imagine the grandeur and the splendor of heaven. So, yes and no. No, I cannot. This is never going to become utopia. <laughs> we're never going to get to the point where this is heaven on earth because we're good and we're just going to... There's a whole religions about that, about heaven coming to earth, and that's not going to happen. But can I enjoy here what's going to be stored for me in heaven? Can I begin to enjoy it here? And I'm going to say, yes, you can in this, in this way because if I keep the reality that I have a future inheritance in heaven, 
that can never spoil, never perish, never fade, when I know that that can become so certain in my life that, it, that, that nothing will shake that away from me, I will be able to enjoy the benefits of the future promise that gives peace, that gives hope, and it's alive, and it's vibrant, and it's real because I know it's coming and I can be assured that I will receive it. I know that he's kept it there for me and I know that it will be there. I may not see it in this world. In fact, there's a lot of things in heaven about heaven we don't see here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, the Living Bible translation says this, In the same way, we can see and understand only a little about God now, as if we were peering at his reflection in a poor mirror. But someday, <laughs> someday we are going to see him in his completeness, face to face. Amen. Does that not get you excited a little bit? Now all that I know is hazy and blurred, but then I will see everything clearly, just as clearly as God sees into my heart right now. Amen. I tell you, if I can't take that to the bank, then I have nothing to take to the bank. If I can't stand on that and let that give me peace and contentment and assurance of the stuff I'm going through, because there is a day coming that I know that I will look at God face to face. That's amazing. That's an inheritance that can never spoil, perish, or fade. Amen. Peter goes on then writing that God is protecting us while we are living this life for him and keeping us safe from the grip of Satan and the enemy snares that are so prevalent here to try to grab us and try to snare us up. Verse 5 says of 1 Peter 1, verse 5 says, Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That we are shielded by faith, by God's power. Remember, Peter's audience here is in the midst of severe persecution. They are acutely aware of how important protection is. They are in serious threat of being discovered continuously and tortured and killed for their faith. They understand it. So to hear that God protects them is a welcome to truth. And even though we may find them still going through troubles and, th and serious problems, they are welcoming the reality of God's truth, that God's protection is there for them no matter how severe the trial becomes. No matter if I have to die for my faith, God's protection is for me because my treasure is not fading with my death. I'm just being released unto it. Don't threaten me with heaven. I mean, <laughs> life can be so bad here. Take me home, God. That's fine with me. This verse talks about a couple significant aspects of God's protecting power. First of all, believers are shielded and protected from Satan's forces of evil. Believers are protected from Satan's forces of evil that are bent to destroy and rob us of our faith and our salvation. Devil's proper, the devil's purpose is not just to make your life miserable, it's to kill you. <laughs> the devil's purpose is to destroy you. He is not nor will ever be your friend. No matter what he looks like, no matter how tempting he may be, no matter how he may dress himself up as an angel of light or as a good friend or as a nice bottle of booze, he will never be there for your good. He will 
destroy you. That's his purpose. So here we have the shielding of God's faith from this power of Satan's force to destroy us and we can rest assured just as much as I'm assured that I have heaven, I have assuredness of God's protection. 2 Timothy chapter 4.18 The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. <laughs> the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to His kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. What more needs to be said? Can we read God's Word and see it clearly? Romans eight thirty one through 39 What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at, at, is at the right hand of the God, our Father, and is also interceding for us. Do you get that? Jesus is praying for you and me today. He's praying for us. That's called living hope. <laughs> it's alive and well, and He's praying and He's interceding for us. And then 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Then how in the world can we live in despair? How in the world can we let life get us down so much that we're in depression and a funk when I've just believed what the Word says, that I am a new creation and that there is nothing in all of God's creation that can separate me from the love of God? That is living hope. Notice that the Scripture does not say that we will not be without trouble, that we will have trouble. We are going to be living with trouble in this world all of our lives. As long as we're on earth, you're going to have trouble. Just so you know that. I'm not trying to pop your bubble, but you're going to have trouble tomorrow. It's coming. However, I do not need to live in despair as a result of that because I know, I know, I know, I know that I'm more than a conqueror through him who has raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Why? Because he is alive and he is my hope. Number two. Living hope, number one, living hope lives in the life of every believer. Number two, the essential condition required for God's protection is faith. There is a condition here. God does not just give things for no reasons. God is just and he's purposeful in his intention. Yes, he loves us all. He loves you all unconditionally. But I'm talking about something that's not just love. I'm talking about something that comes only through faith and that is his shield of protection his shield of protection doesn't go to everybody his love goes to everybody but his shield of protection goes only to those that are faithful to him 
We need to realize that. This world doesn't like to hear it that way. They like to think that God loves and protects all of us. Well, I'm telling you, that's not what God's Word says. There's a, a, a commentary says this on this particular passage. Let me read it, what this commentary says. God's special guarding over our lives is not automatic or by chance. It comes into effect through faith, just as it is only through faith that our believers are saved in the first place. I choose to put my faith into action that saves me, and then that puts me in a position to be protected by the shield of God. As Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is our responsible, the commentator goes on to say, it is our responsibility to maintain an act of faith, one that completely surrenders to Christ, entrusts the leadership of lives to Him, and pursues His purposes. If we expect to experience God's continued guidance and protection, we must live a life of obedient faith. No question about it. That doesn't mean we, slip and, we don't slip and fall. I'm telling you, we do. But when we come back to him and say, Father, I'm sorry, I fell today. I need your forgiveness again today. You know what? He is there to pick you back up. He is there to put you back on the right road. He's there to, help, to put a shield of protection all over you again. But I have to continue to live that way. Amen. Jackie, would you come and slow me down a little bit here? As we conclude today, we are in this new life, born again with a living hope, with God's protection of protection, God's promise of protection from anything that will harm me either temporally. Well, I'm, let me back up. I am going to be harmed temporally. I'm just going to tell you that. I'm going to be hurt. People are going to hurt me. They're going to hurt you. I'm going to have situations that are going to come in that aren't going to be good. But here's the promise. Nothing of eternity will harm me. I will lose nothing of eternal value as I keep my life focused in on who Jesus is and in this living hope. Because eternity is, is something that God protects. God protects all that. And it's, need, it's important that we need to understand that God's conditions need to be our purpose. We need to purposely live a life that is obedient to God so that He can protect me. I don't want to walk away from that. I don't want to walk out from under God's protection. See, bad things are going to come. And these bad things, though, can never take away my eternal inheritance. As long as I continue to put my faith in Christ without compromise, I know that I have eternal protection. That's why Paul could write this. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul's last chapter that he wrote. 7 and 8, verse 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all of you who have longed for his appearing. That is our promise, folks. That's you and me today. I don't have to worry about anything else. Paul wouldn't, understand this, Paul wouldn't use a terminology. He wouldn't use that term, fought, fought the good fight, if there wasn't a fight to fight. I have fought the good fight. There's a fight to fight, folks. We need to understand that. But we need to know, though, that we have finished it. We can finish the race. And we can be successful in it. 
because God loves us and he is protecting us as we choose to love him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we so much appreciate your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for being so clear in your word that we can have assurance, perfect confidence, perfect assurance that you are protecting our reward, that you are protecting us for eternity. And Lord, now I just want to live my life obeying you. I want to live my life knowing that, I, that you, I want you to know how much I appreciate that. So I'm going to live my life appropriately. I'm going to put away the stuff of this world. I'm going to put away the compromises because these compromises don't give me life. They bring death. Therefore, I'm going to focus in on you today. I praise your name. I worship you. And I thank you for everything that you've done for me and you're continuing to do for me. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing. And, and I know that you have situations. If you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. The altars are always open. But I just want to encourage you today as you go to your homes that you understand where your hope is placed today. Let's praise the Lord and let's worship Him. And if you need prayer, come find me. I'm happy to pray with you. Amen. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Let's sing. Amen. Father, we thank you for that promise. You are our very present help in time of need, and we declare your goodness. So go with us, Lord, in our lives as we walk into our lives this week. Lord, be with us. Bring this remembrance back to us that as we begin to struggle, because we are going to face struggles, but Lord, help us to know that you are there for us and you are our deliverer and our redeemer and that we will focus in on who you are. Give us that assurance and that peace. We celebrate this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go in strength today. Know that the Lord is on your side. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.